Thank you, Rachel. Uh, my name is Jim Johnson, and I'm one of the pastors here. <laughs> uh, and it really is a, a pleasure to be with you this morning. I, I have been blessed um, to be gone, and I believe more blessed to be home. I'm very, very grateful for uh, the time abroad, had some opportunities to worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ in Poland. And when they see one another, they greet one another and they say, Dzień dobry. So will you say that? Dzień dobry. That's what they say. Um, it's, it's fun learning a, a new language. And so last week, I was actually with our brothers and sisters in Christ from Canada. And when they greet one another, they go, how's it going, eh? That's what they say. So why don't we try that? Why don't we all speak Canadian here for a moment? You didn't know if you could do Polish. You think Dzień dobry sounds weird. I want you to say, how's it going, eh? Say that. It's not, how is it going, eh? It's literally... How's it going, eh? Um, which is embarrassing, but that's how I spoke. It's how I used to speak. And then I came to God's country, and it has been. <laughs> and, and by that, I, I don't just mean the United States of America, because everything that God has made is his country. Um, but there's just something special about home. And so uh, we, are, we are glad to be back, aren't we? Where are you? There you are, girl. We are, we are very glad to be back. Um, and uh, I want to begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to continue. Scott preached from John 10 last week. We're going to end um, a very similar idea, um, but the, uh, the implications continue to grow deeper, and um, they're, they're more uh, demanding and impactful upon Jesus' audience, which means they're demanding to us, and we need to have ears to hear. So let us go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for the work that you are about to do. Um, Father, for as I speak your word as Rachel read literally your word. Um, Father, your spirit is present and it is honoring the word that you have spoken. And that nothing you say ever is empty and, and it doesn't do anything but return to you and it engages us. And therefore, I pray that with um, a deep sense of reverence and humility and joy, um, that we can hear from you this morning. Guide my words, um, that I can accurately and passionately speak about Jesus, um, someone I love and someone that I know. And I pray, Father, that uh, you would honor this time together. Um, thank you for the example of Jake that we all just saw. Um, and we, may we uh, truly be inspired um, by the childlike faith, the simple faith, of what it means to just confess um, our allegiance and our devotion to you. God's people said. How can they believe? without hearing. That's not just a question for missions. It's really a question for um, everyone. How can someone confess a faith in an allegiance to Jesus unless they hear about him? Unless they hear the truth about him? And so often we, we look at this verse and we go, yeah, that's why we need to go to the parts of the world that don't know about him because we, we need to tell them so that they will respond. And yet, I, I've been all around the world 
And I'm seeing a lot of times the good news of Jesus Christ, the, 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 the truth about him and who he is and what he has done. And, and it has been spoken and there is still large amounts of people who don't respond with faith. And so let us never read this and, and think everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. When we call on the name of the Lord, when we appeal to God and to the promises of God, when we appeal to him, God, you sent your son who has died for my sin. I recognize who he is and what he has accomplished. And, and, and God, I accept this wonderful free gift that you have now offered to me for the glory of your name and for my benefit. I, I thank you for that. And I engage with faith that I'm saved. I'm set free. So that's what happens, but it, it doesn't mean that everyone who hears believes. No, they don't. Not everyone who hears believes. There is a kind of a, an idea that runs out through the scripture that a lot of people hear. A lot of people know. But only a few hold on. Only a few accept. Only a few believe. And that's always a struggle for us. And I, I think it's probably appropriate that it's, it's just hard for us to get our heads around. Why is it that if it's so good and so real and so true, then why is it that people don't believe? What, what, what's, what's wrong? And, and so we can sometimes really doubt the message or the messenger. Maybe I said it wrong. Scott pointed out last week, communication is important. But I, I think Jesus is a pretty good communicator, don't you? I don't think the, the problem with his situation was that, you know, he just wasn't very clear. He just, he should have done a better job. Um, that's, that's not what's happening. And indeed, anytime we engage with, with scripture, it doesn't appear to be, no, it's clearly not God's fault. It's clearly not on Jesus as to why this isn't happening. And so everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can't call upon him unless you hear. And so blessed are the feet. Paul says this in Romans 10. And so blessed are the feet. Blessed are those who go and, and tell the good news. Whether that's Poland or Ghana, Africa or Utah. Blessed are the feet that take the good news. But not everybody who hears the good news is going to respond. And that, that really is what John 10 is all about. It, it, it is coming to terms with, and it's just wrestling with this issue that we are going to see repeatedly throughout the book of John that Jesus says something or does something, and it's like, are we back here again? And the answer is yes. It's a lot, reading God's, reading God's word through the gospel of John is a lot like parenting children. You say it, and you think they understand, and then they walk out of the room and they walk back in the room and you're like, wow, you forgot. And the answer is yes. And we were that way. By the way, we are still that way. How, how did we end up here again? Are we, just, are we just walking? Are we just living in circles? And then what I love is that Jesus continues to engage. Jesus continues to make it evident, make it plain, make it clear. This is who I am. This is what I am about. So you have to be careful reading the text and, and just 
literally taking it like somehow um, we, we sometimes take it. I, I want us to look at it. I want you to have your Bibles out. We're going to be looking at John 10, specifically at a few verses, dealing with this issue of what is it that causes some people to believe and some people to not believe. And I, I think we will have a better understanding of what is happening, but I don't think, it's, I don't think we can solve that question, or I don't think we can actually just solve that problem. I don't even think it's a problem to be solved. Um, I think faith is not just a, um, it's, it's not just an intellectual thing. There's something else that is happening, and we're going to learn that from John 10 today. But these, these Jews who are not in agreement with Jesus, who are struggling with what he is saying, they're struggling with what he is doing. Look at verse 24. The Jews surrounded him, okay, and that's not, hey, small group time, let's gather and hold hands. No, it's, uh, it appears to be almost like a, a reference to how the psalmist describes those who are the opponents of God's people, and they surround them. Um, you, you get that in Psalm 22, and a band of evil men encircle me when it is uh, forecasting the crucifixion of Jesus. This is what the enemies of God would do. They would surround the city. The Jews surrounded him and they asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Doesn't that just sound innocent? Hey, we're, we're, we're trying to figure this out. We're, we're with you. We're all Jews here. Why are you uh, keeping us in suspense? Actually, actually that's the, almost the best. All the commentators just describe how complicated it is to translate this. Um, it's, it's, it's an idiom, it's a figure of speech that is actually used nowhere else in Greek literature. So it's hard to understand what a figure of speech is when there's no other examples of that figure of speech. But it's not, hey, we're just trying to figure this out, can you help us out a little bit? No, there's a taunt in it. Um, and, and this taunt actually is existing all throughout John's Gospel. His brothers came to him in John chapter 7 with something very, very similar. His brothers are, hey, uh, since you seem to think you're this special person, appointed by God, called by God, why don't you go up to Jerusalem and make yourself known? Why don't you go public with this? And what, what the opponents of Jesus, including his own family, are doing, they're, they're really trying to push him to speak and to own what he is saying. And by the way, Jesus isn't afraid to do that. I would say he's constantly doing it. And the more that he is doing it, the more that people are understanding. And it's interesting, sometimes you ask for clarity because you don't understand. But many times you ask for clarity because you totally understand. So by the way, by, um, the final exam is going to be on May 3rd. What do you mean by that? And, and why I'm asking is, what if I'm, you know, sick on May 3rd? There's no confusion. <laughs> you just know May 3rd is coming, and you're just trying to figure out, I'm going to have to have a backup plan. Are you, will you, will you just stop keeping us in suspense? And then they go on to say, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And again, that idea of keeping us in suspense and plainly, I understand why we go here. I've gone here is that I just, I read John's gospel and Jesus uses figures of speech and they can be confusing. 
Like, has Jesus really been clear? When Nicodemus said, what does it take for someone to be born again? And Jesus is talking about born again, and he says, you must be born of the spirit and water. I wonder what he's talking about. And then he meets this woman, and he says, I am living water, and ooh, living water. And then he calls himself a shepherd, and they're like, really, like a real shepherd? And he says, I'm a door. Really, Jesus, you're a door? Like, I get why we could look this and say they're metaphors, um, they're figures of speech. He's really trying to be elusive with it. He's trying to be creative. No, he's not. They get it. They understand. Scott read last week, the Lord is my shepherd. I, 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 will, I don't need a thing. You don't share, share. Huh, I wonder what he means by that. You know exactly what he means by that. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. The word there for plainly actually doesn't mean, can you just reduce all the flowery speech? It actually is synonymous with the idea of speaking boldly. The disciples in the book of Acts, when they are persecuted, they pray, God, they use this word, Give us the courage so that we might go and preach. There it's translated boldly. That's the same word. When Jesus Christ comes back, um, that second coming is known, is the, the, the Greek word for it is parousia. It means his appearing, his making himself known, his visibleness. And when that happens, there'll be no confusion, no scratching the head. I wonder who this guy is. Perusia. And this word is peresia. To speak boldly. What they're asking for is, um, is clarity on what is already clear. What they're, what they're beginning to realize is, is that there's no confusion in his mind about who he is and what he believes he is and what he's saying. There's no question about what he is doing. He's doing things that nobody has ever done. He is making the lame walk. He is making the blind see. This is clearly a picture of what was promised from the Old Testament. But they still can't believe what that means. And sometimes the easiest thing for you to do when you know the truth is to pretend you don't know. You don't want to deal with the implications because the implications are so obvious And so we can, we can all be so guilty of just kind of playing this game. I wonder what he means by that. I've heard a lot of people say that the Bible is really deep and complicated and difficult, and I know that it is. But the most difficult parts of the Bible, for me, are the parts that are the clearest and the most obvious. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all that you are. I wonder what he means by that. And the second is just like it. To love the neighbor. To love your enemy. More than you love yourself. Well, that's vague. No, it's not. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He is speaking plainly and, and they're just, they're doubling down on disbelief. They're doubling down on disbelief. I love sharing the gospel with people, and some people, like Jake, respond in faith. 
And, and then I, I, I shared the gospel at times with other people, my friend Taysir from Saudi Arabia, and I shared the gospel with him, and over a period of years, I shared the gospel with him, I shared the gospel with him, and he just kept saying to me, like, I, I don't believe, and you know I'm never going to believe. You know I'm never going to believe. I know, but I'm still going to tell you. It wasn't hearing, there was something else, and, and what I did, and what, I, what maybe you do, is you put yourself in his shoes. Yeah, but if I grew up in a Muslim home, if I was moving back, he now lives in Saudi Arabia, man, to believe in Jesus, that's costly. Like, I, I understand why he didn't. Maybe it would mean letting go of everything that he's known. It'd be, it'd be letting go of all of his family. It would be, it'd be unbelievably difficult. I mean, it's easy for you, Jim. You are from a Christian family, and you live in a Christian community, and you even work at a Christian church. But you know how hard it would be for him? No, no, I don't. My friend who lives in Jerusalem, grew up in a Jewish family. So, so why don't you believe? And here's what he said. I just have a hard time believing. I can't get my head around the fact that God sent, if he did, Jesus into the world to save my people and we would reject him. That just doesn't make sense to me. And so I'm going with the majority on this one. It's what you and I do. I'm just going to go with the majority on this one. Isn't it hard for you to just believe that there are just so many people in the world who even hear and don't respond, and it's just hard to believe they're all wrong? Can you understand? And Jesus engages this question. Here's what this, this text divulges <laughs> That believing in Jesus seems simple and obvious to some and impossible for others. And it's the same message. It is so clear. It is so obvious. I get it. I don't see it. I don't hear it. And, and by the way, the Bible doesn't just casually talk about this. This is a repeated theme from Genesis to Revelation. That the word of God comes. That the word of God is spoken. And there are some who receive it, but the vast majority reject it. I've probably said this a number of times already just in the Gospel of John. And, and we need to know that and we need to wrestle with that. We need to be humbled by that. We need to be emboldened by that. Humbled and emboldened by that amazing truth. That when Jesus speaks, there are some that hear and respond and there are some that hear, and they don't respond in the same way. John's gospel is clearly all about believing in Jesus and experiencing life. There's just no way around it. He ends his gospel, I have written these things to you so that you might believe, and that by believing them, that you would have life in his name. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. I wrote this so that you would believe and have life. For God loved the world so much that he sent his only son into the world to die for you and me. And if you believe that, if you believe him, if you believe in him, if you put your faith in him, if you trust him with God, you will have eternal life. You'll never die. This is how John speaks. It's all about belief and then engaging that belief and then having life. 
And that's what Jesus is dealing here, which means this, is that what is happening in John 10, and I really, as I was listening to you last week, Scott, when I was listening to this message, I was thinking to myself, wow, it really fits well all together. I'm, I'm glad we broke it up, but it really does fit so well all together. All of John 10, if you didn't hear Scott's message last week, you need to go back and listen to it again. This fits so well. I am the shepherd. I am the door. I am the way. I am the one. And, and those who hear me get it. Yeah, well, we don't get it. Will you tell us plainly? And it's interesting, Jesus makes it very, very clear that believing in him is more than just weighing the evidence. It's more than just weighing the evidence. That's why this morning as I speak about who Jesus is and as you think about responding to that, that I want you to realize that I'm not just asking you to weigh the evidence. Hey, I'm gonna present a case and then at the very end of the, of the time together, I'm gonna ask you whether or not you wanna make a decision, okay? So it's kind of like a courtroom and you're the jury and I'm gonna present to you what Jesus says and at the end of the time, if you believe in it, then you'll respond, and if not, you'll respond, but just weigh the evidence. Will you just weigh the evidence? It's more than that. The matter of faith is so much more than that. Here's what I read this week when I was studying. Listen to this statement. It's, it's, it's incredible. It was so convicting for me. We should not think that the Jews understood God but had a hard time fitting Jesus into the already established Jewish belief system. Okay, that's what I've thought. <laughs> Honestly, that's kind of how I've looked at much of the, my time studying the Bible. That everybody here, all these, all these people, they were good Jews, just loving God and following God and faithful to God and just doing everything right, and Jesus came in and messed it all up. Right, he, he messed it all up. I've thought that, and right now I confess to you, to my shame, I've preached that, contrary to what the Bible teaches. Rather, this commentator writes, the very fact that the Jews reject Jesus was proof of the rejection, no, unbelief, which I believe is synonymous, rejection and unbelief, okay, it's not a casual thing. No, I just, I chose to not believe. That's rejection. So you are aware. To not believe is to reject. No unbelief of God himself. This isn't hyperbole. This is an overstatement. This is restating what Jesus taught in John chapter 5. John said to those who are not wanting to believe him because he was clear, more than clear enough. Jesus said to them, you think you have Moses. You actually think that Moses and the law, you think that you are going to appeal to them. I'm going to tell you this. Moses is going to stand up in judgment and he is going to judge you. And this is what Jesus says. You can choose to believe him or not. Jesus said, for if you had believed, really believed in Moses, you would believe in me. How many of us actually think that what was going on here was they believed so much in Moses, they, they've really wrestled to believe in Jesus? That's what I've said. Jesus says the exact opposite. This is how Jesus speaks. You call yourselves children of Abraham. Listen, if you were children of Abraham, you would do what Abraham did. You would look at me 
And you would respond with faith, just the way Abraham heard God speak and responded with faith. When you would hear me speak, you would respond with faith. I have to admit, really, uh, I have learned to love John's gospel in whole new ways. Not because of the vague philosophical, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, but the incredible clarity in which Jesus spoke. I and the Father are one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The sheep hear my voice. This is what Jesus says in response to their, why are you holding us in suspense? Why don't you tell us more boldly? Jesus says in verses 25 and 26, I did tell you. I did tell you. And you don't believe. That statement, you don't believe, I think means in part one thing. There is something that, that we all bring to the table. Um, th- this text is, is deep. This Chapter 10 and chapter 6 are very deep in theology, in theological circles, because it's really wrestling with, like, how much is God involved in our salvation and how much are we responsible for our salvation? There's a lot of people that ask that. Is is faith something that that you and I have, that you and I muster, that you and I determine, that you and I work through, or is this a gift from God? And you know what the Bible says? Yes. It just says yes. And it drives people crazy. And I love it. (laughs) I haven't always loved it. But you know why I love it? I, I really love it because... What it it does is it helps me understand that Jesus is a person, that God is a person, and by that I don't mean human, but God has personality, that he's not a concept. It's not like E equals MC squared, or the speed of light is, you know, it's not, I don't even know what the speed of light is, nine point something. Anyway, uh, I remember the metric. That's my problem, Dr. White. I remember the metric version, not the the other one. Um, So here's what what you have, is you have these, these ideas about God but, but really, that's not what it is. Ideas about God are not synonymous with him. He says, you don't believe. There is a responsibility that they have. You are being rebellious. You're being arrogant. And you got to own it. And then he continues, Jesus answered them, the works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. You don't believe because you are not my sheep. Okay. So the first thing, it seems like you're blaming me, and the second thing, it seems like you're blaming God. Hmm. When when the Bible does that, and it does it on more than just this one issue, when the Bible talks about the greatness of God and our own responsibility, I really believe that more and more it's just it's intended to drive us to our knees. I can't escape my responsibility. But it's not all up to me. You know how I know, this is a personal thing, you know how I know like, um, I'm engaging the eternal in word and in spirit? I know that I'm engaging the eternal when I am incredibly vulnerable and yet feel incredibly safe. Incredibly vulnerable, almost scary, I'm not afraid. 
That's, that's the shepherd speaking. And I hear him. I believe it. And I don't know why. It's not because I'm smart. It's not because I'm good. And it's not because I was raised right. Happened to be home with my dad. He kind of made the comment. I don't remember who he was speaking about, but he said, you know, he should have been raised better. And so I decided in typical Johnson fashion to list a number of the problems, uh, both within his brothers and sisters and within my own family. What was wrong with them? It's not just about being raised right, is it? These Jews, it's not that they're not believing because they weren't raised right. I'm not saying parents don't have a responsibility. No, we, we know we do. And yet ultimately it's up to who? That's how you know you're touching the eternal. You're engaging the most real. And so here's our major takeaway. That God is therefore, Jesus is God, Jesus God, is therefore an active participant in the mystery of faith. We should never consider God to be a principle to be conceded. And this is how we sometimes share faith with others. Hey, Jake, I've presented Jesus. I hope that you've agreed. Um, remember sitting at Aspen, and then I, I basically said to you, okay, now what are you going to do? Will you admit that I'm right? I didn't do that, by the way, but will you concede? How do you answer that question? Who made the world? Who made it? Will you concede? Almost like God is a principle. And by the way, there are principles about him. But if your faith this morning is about principles, instead about like this real engagement with the living God, I don't think you understand faith. If when we sing in a few minutes, you're all that I need. Like, you're all, that I, you're all that I want. You're all that I need. You are the cornerstone of my existence. It's hard to do that about the speed of light or gravity. But we can say it about Jesus. If you find yourself going through the motions, maybe it's because you've conceded on some points. I don't know how much you really believe in Jesus. So God is not a principle to be conceded. Instead, there is a relationship, and I mean that with God, to be recognized, engaged, and enjoyed. That's why Jesus says, I'm gonna give you life, and it'll be full. You'll be able to go in and out into the pasture and the safety of my pen. Abundant life, freedom in me, See how that's so much more than a principle? I'm not, I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm saying that's what you're buying. Or maybe better stated, that's what it means when Jesus buys you. When Jesus takes you. Now, I'm not asking you to buy something. I'm asking you to trust what God has already purchased for you through his son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, in verses 27 through 30, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Incredibly clear. Jesus is describing the preeminent power and purposes of God to care for his own and how his own are going to respond to him. And there are those of us who understand this, and we don't just understand it, we understand it with the fullness. It's like we have chosen to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength, and then God has responded, and now all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength find its all of its completion in him. We get it. We've engaged it. We enjoy it. And that's what it means when the sheep know the shepherd. It's incredible peace and joy that the shepherd first knows the sheep. What Jesus is saying in different terms in this text is this. That believing is so simple that it's something even a child can do. All these people... Don't hold us in suspense. Tell us plainly, Jesus, that's not the problem. Don't, don't, don't play that game. Now, what I've said to you is so simple that even these disciples right here, not dumb, but they're not educated. They're just simple people who've chosen to align themselves with me, and there is nothing special about them, but I have called them. Nothing. That's why you have struggle believing that God would use people like them and I'm telling you, Jesus said, God loves to use people like them. Paul says about the church in Corinth, God loves to call people like them because it confuses everybody else. We want Oprah Winfrey to get saved and Enoch Musk to get saved and Albert Einstein to be saved. God goes, yeah, I know you do. That's what's wrong with you. You're more impressed with that, aren't you? And I, uh-huh. I'm nodding, uh-huh. That would be Awesome. Could you imagine how much God could do if he had Elon Musk's money? Seriously. You know what is more amazing? I guarantee you a lot in this room have thought that. If the influence of believing is so simple, it's something even a child can do. And at the same time, believing is so hard, it's something only a child can do. So Jesus departed across the Jordan to the place because they picked up stones to kill him. He escapes. He eludes them. And so he departed again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier and he remained there. And many came to him and said, John never did a sign, but everything Jesus said about this man is true. And many believed in him there. It's not that they saw something different. What's the difference? I don't know. I don't. Well, I don't. I know this, because here's what the Bible actually says that believing requires repentance, and repentance requires humility. That much I do know. Yeah, but why did they have it and nobody else? Yeah, I'll, I'll never know the answer to that. But either way, this evidence comes to you this morning. And so I want us, as we engage around the table this morning, I'm just going to ask one very simple thing. I'd like to you to reflect. 
on just one thing that you believe about Jesus. One thing that you believe about him. That he has said about himself. That he and the Father are one. That he has died so that you could have peace with God. That he loves you. That he will always be with you. I want you to just pick one thing that Jesus has said that you believe as well as you can believe it. And then I want you to spend a little bit of time thinking, if I really believe that, and play with the implications. Think about how your life, think about how your day, think about how your week begins to change. If I really believe this about Jesus, my sins are forgiven. If I really believe this about Jesus, he's with me. If I really believe about Jesus, he will come back one day. By the way, you, you, you pick one. And spend some time finding joy and purpose in that thought.